Hey. Everybody, welcome to the podcast. Peter, welcome. I'm Doug. Greetings, Doug. And this week, we are going to do uh, Michael Mann's 1995 uh, L.A. crime film, Heat. Peter, this was your pick. Yes. Your pick. Heat. A lot of stuff to talk about with the heat, at least for yeah. me. Um, yeah, I took a lot of notes, so I have a lot of stuff to talk about, too. Uh, do you want to give us an ever so brief introduction yes, uh, or this, summary? Summary. Because everyone, everyone's seen the movie. <laughs> it's a nearly three hour. Well, it does get a lot of traction, doesn't it? That's one of the interesting things about it. Yeah, it's I mean, two hours and 50 minutes. Yeah, it's nearly a three hour movie that has a sort of a convoluted plot, but the essence is... Um, this is the first movie that Pacino and De Niro worked on together, and they play. Well, it's the first movie that they share screen time. They in, share screen time. They're both in Godfather Two. Correct, right? So they, but they're on screen and they have, you know, actually a semi, um, not really climatic, but a dramatic scene where they're together um, as as arch rivals, essentially. In some uh, ways, it's the best scene in the movie. I think. Yeah, I mean. We'll talk. I mean, the dialogue sometimes is a little rough. Yeah. But well, anyway, uh, do you want to do your quick summary? And then we'll do the deep dive. Yep. So basically, um, um, Robert De Niro plays Neil McCauley. He's a a highly, highly professional bank robber with a professional crew. Um, Al Pacino plays a um, a murder, um, a homicide detective in Los Angeles who's trying to stop him, and they. There are a bunch of convoluted plot twists, but uh, in the end, they sort of they attain sort of a respect for each other. They meet at one point and they have a uh, a final uh, conflict with a shootout in the end. And there are a whole lot of characters in the movie and a whole lot of small parts and a whole lot of character actors that will kind of go through. But um, the movie is uh, very technical. Uh, has a lot of bank robbery little bits in it. And sort of those are the things about the movie that make it interesting. And it's interestingly shot. So that's Could you a, call this a Western? In some ways you could. Yeah, it has certain elements of a Western, I guess. But it's it's so... Um, sort of the, it's the so outlaw sl- and the lawman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it has a certain outlaw. And, it, it has an element of that. Um but, um, I mean, to me, you know, we talked about this a little bit, but the, the super interesting thing to me is the movie is so slickly made, in my opinion. It's one of the, it's, it's, I think it's beautiful looking. It has some sequences in it, notably the, the big bank robbery, the big robbery. shootout, right? That are so incredibly well done. I mean, that, that scene to me is, is, is breathtaking. And I don't mean that you know, in a Seinfeld way. Right. I, you know, it's funny because I like, for example, I, I like Manhunter better. Like, I enjoy watching Manhunter better, but he's so much more polished. He's so much more advanced in his craft, Michael Mann, at this point in his career. I mean, the, the craft in this movie is incredible. I mean, it's, it's so polished and so well done um, and so slick and yeah, flashy. Yeah, slick is the word. It's glossy, absolutely glossy. And so polished and so distracting it's so distractingly glossy that it pulls you in right the gloss pulls you in and you know when i saw it it came out in 1995 so i saw it in the theater and then i saw it a few times thereafter and it 
I, I really, it sort of fooled me into thinking it was a better movie than it was. Um, yeah, to and simplify I think it. I liked it quite a bit, but I think as we go on, you're going to kind of see that I think you liked it more than I did. Well, I think I liked it more early on, but when you, after you see it and you get over the, the slickness, the wow a, factor, which is to me is the wow factor is extremely high. Um, there's not, it doesn't make sense. And there's really, there's not much character development. I mean, there's only a couple of characters that are real. And the thing about this movie makes me think about why I think this is a, a really interesting podcast topic is this movie makes me philosophically think about what makes a movie good. Like what makes film good and how much of it is the film and how much of it is just the the plot, the, experience. The, the character, the experience, yeah. the storytelling, the dialogue. I mean, it, it really, it raises those questions for me because I think that the filmmaking part of this movie is so good, it's one of the best. And yet the, the writing aspects, the parts that maybe fit into other arts that other arts possess, like, um, like a novel, um, aren't really there Hmm. so there's not it doesn't have the kind of the depth that a good movie will have um well i don't know though i mean i don't know if you necessarily have to have all that and for example you can get away with a lot less and i'm i like a lot of minimalism um but i kind of felt like this movie for all the good things about it and this is going to be kind of my theme in this podcast this movie had a lot of fat that could have been trimmed. And I really, really don't think that this movie needed to be two hours and 50 minutes. And that's coming from someone who liked it. But I have a whole list of things that they really didn't need in this movie. And if they had gotten rid of, it would have been, as you like to call it, the greased rail. And this movie is not a greased rail. Like no two hour and 50 minute movie is a greased rail. Well, you can't get all the characters in this movie. I mean, there's yeah, so I, many characters. But, I think, but, that, but I think that that's a little bit of their undoing. It's, I think, some whole subplots and characters they could have taken out with no downside to the overall film at all. But we'll get into that. Um, can we talk a little bit about cast? Because, I mean, the, the, the cast in this movie, like, who's not in this movie? I know. You say that every time, but this time it was really true. I mean, this movie, <laughs> I mean, this movie has everybody from Jeremy Piven to, you know, right. Natalie Portman, John Voight, Val, I mean, plus the big stars, right? The big stars in the movie are, you know, Pacino, De Niro, and Val Kilmer. Right. Um, but you also have Wes Study, who we talked about in yeah. Dances with Wolves and Last of the Mohicans. Yep. Um, Ted Levine, uh, a.k.a. <laughs> Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs, right. plays uh, one of the cops, Bosco. Right. And uh, looking Tone nothing Loke. like Buffalo Bill. Tone, Tone Loke has a part. This Henry Rollins. Did you listen Henry to Rollins. Black Flag in college? I listened to Black Flag in college. No, but... Um, um, but, but he was but, the lead singer in Black Flag. Yeah. Danny Trejo playing yep. the eponymous Trejo. And did you notice... Who who um, Ashley Judd's guy on the side was? Yeah, that, of course. Hank Azaria. <laughs> so I took a quick look. Hank Azaria on The Simpsons Voices, Professor Everyone. Frank, Moe, Chief Wiggum, Carl, Apu, Comic Book Guy, Dr. Nick, and Disco Stew, among others. <laughs> Worst voiceover ever. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, and, I'm oh, Dr. and Bill Fickner. Don't forget about Bill Fickner too. Right, right. Who has to Roger be in Red's everything head. too? Right. Who we've talked about in Contact as well. And this is oh, one of he, Ashley Judd's early movies too. Yeah. And Tom Sizemore. 
Yeah, I like and I like Tom Sizemore a lot, actually. Um, yeah. I read his uh, autobiography, which is basically just about him doing heroin, but it's really interesting. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, everyone is in this thing. And, uh, it's and funny they're really Jeremy good. Jeremy Piven appears kind of, he comes out of nowhere, you know, two thirds of the way through this movie. And it's funny because it's Jeremy Piven before he kind of cleaned up his act. You know, like when you see him in like, like Entourage or Mr. Selfridge, he's so slick and polished looking like this is Jeremy Piven before he had, you know, work done and a, a dietitian. You know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> and way before he was famous, for sure. Well, yeah, he had made a couple of things at this point, but not a ton. Yeah, this Larry is, I think, this show. Is before This is before Black Hawk Down and, and stuff like that. This is in the PCU era. Um, I read that, by the way, that Ted Levine was supposed to be Wayne Grow. Hmm. And he asked Michael Mann not to be Wayne Grove because he said, I just did a big villain. I can't be a villain twice. And Mann said to him, well, I have a cop part, but it's smaller. And he took it because he said, I got to be a good guy. I can't hmm. be stuck in like the horrible monster role. Hmm. I think that a lot of the the character actors do a great job in this movie with these little parts. And yeah, although West Study doesn't really do much in this. No, he doesn't he have much to do. And I liked, Amy, I liked Amy Brennerman, who has a small part and mm-hmm. very, very little dialogue. She communicates her entire character through her facial expressions. Right. But the only problem is, you know, as we'll talk about, to me, I don't buy their relationship, really. Well, you could buy them having a relationship in a one-night stand. I don't buy her running off with this guy she slept with once essentially to New you know, Zealand for the rest of her life. It's not like they're um, going to Vegas for the weekend. I mean, they're there. He's, he's like, come to New Zealand, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'll take care of everything. <laughs> yeah. I got money. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think I, and I love John Voight too. John Voight is the fixer. The, the, he's the sort of right. the background. He's the wolf. He's like the wolf from, uh, from Pulp Fiction in this. Yeah, Bring I mean, in the wolf. Well, he also he sort of runs the back office for the for the crew for the the robbery right. he's, crew. He's he's lining up and arranging stuff for them. Yeah, all the time, and yeah, he su- supports them in every way, and and he's also right. sort of laundering their money, I think. But he he's super creepy and good in this movie, and, and also they give doesn't him that have a sort of like they give him that sort of like weird mullet. I know to make but, him look a little dirty. But I love the way, you know, the guy like when, in the scenes with um, with De Niro, it, it, the, the, he just he's so strange. Like he, he doesn't he makes he breaks, makes and breaks eye contact. Like he really doesn't look like he's he's playing a part at all. I mean, it looks like you're looking in on a weird dude talking with another dude, which is amazing considering it's a movie. and He's got a camera stuck. Are in you talking face. about Pacino or De Niro? No, no Voight. I'm talking about oh, Voight, Voight and his Voight. scene. Voight, I mean, he looks, he's so good in those, those short scenes he has. He's yeah, really he's probably weird. only in the movie about seven or eight minutes, but you Tops. notice him. Yeah, and he's so, he's so strange. He portrays this guy who's quiet, but strange, competent, but sort of strange. Yeah. So I thought that Diane Venora, who plays uh, Pacino's wife, Justine, mm-hmm. she is beautiful and great to look at and did not need to be in this movie. At all. And no. neither did Natalie Portman. They could have cut that entire whole part of the film out and made Pacino never even reference his outside life. And the movie would have been better. Whether you, you didn't know if he had a family or not, it doesn't matter. And the whole third act after the bank robbery 
there's so much wasted time. The only thing, I mean, I know what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to have both Pacino and De Niro, guys who are married to their careers and are, have unsuccessful personal lives. And in that way, they're right, they're, they're mirror images of each right. other. And, but, uh, but that having been said, it was boring, dude. It was well, boring. The other, well, the problem, the reason I think it was boring is the dialogue between the two of them is just terrible. I mean, you know, like, uh, you know, Pacino really we get it i mean this is a, one of the, my biggest complaints i mean he really chews up the scenery in this right, movie i mean he right. does I mean, that he's, a lot he's but, right he's commodore decker in the doomsday machine in this I oh mean, my he's god yelling and screaming and running around he overacts so pacino said in an interview that uh his character hannah was supposed to have a cocaine addiction that didn't really make it into the final movie so he's supposed to be on cocaine but if they never, ever show him use cocaine, it just comes off as overacting. And, and I actually wrote on my little notepad, I wrote chewing scenery, the exact phrase you just used. Boy, does he. And and like, for example. she's got a great ass. He's got a great ass. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's another. Uh, that I mean, this is one of the scenes with uh, Diane Venora he, where he goes, it keeps me sharp on the edge. Where I gotta be. And like, you know, like that's the kind of dialogue I hold on to my angst or whatever the hell it was, you know, like it's terrible. I mean, that, that, you know, he, that the line is, that line is delivered badly. It's a poorly written, I mean, the dialogue. It's kind of like the first time that he really, really descends into self parody. And like, for example, after this movie, he's kind of playing these sorts of roles, like Scent of a Woman. Like he kind of just, he does this with Al Pacino. I don't know. It's got to be right around here. I think it was but before. But it's a sort of, it's a sort of, it's a sort of Al Pacino shtick. Whereas, like for example, De Niro can disappear more into a role. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? And you and De Niro can play different kind of people different ways. Like for example, think of the way De Niro plays his character in in Jackie Brown versus the way he plays his character in Goodfellas versus the way he plays his character in Ronan. Like those are three different people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Pacino plays plays the loud, scenery chewing Al Pacino from here yeah, on out. Yeah, but it's it's tiring. Oh yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah. Like uh, oh, and don't forget you know, my favorite, even better than the she's got a great ass. Oh, the Sin of a Woman's ninety three, by the way. Yeah, I think that's so. Where he, same era, same era. That's when he learned this technique. But I mean, if, but I mean, if you, I mean, I've seen The Godfather. 20 times. I mean, if you watch his performance in The Godfather, it's much, much better than, you know, what you see in these years. I mean, oh, he's yeah. much more restrained and careful and, and he's thought much more about the part. Whereas here, like, you kind of get the sense that he's, he's I don't want to say he's phoning it in, but he's like, he's winging it a little bit. Like, oh, there's, you, you know, he practiced less. I think so. And I think sometimes I, I, I have a feeling they kept in um, when he was improvising a little bit, like the scene where they they go to the, the chop shop and he's trying to get information about um, where he's trying to find the, um, the crew and he's got an informant. And that's where the scene with before with tone Loke, or maybe it's the one tone Loke is in like, and, uh, and uh, he's talking to the guy and he says, what's the thing he says? Like, oh, he goes, give me all you got. Give me all you got. <laughs> he just screams it like the top of his lungs out of nowhere. And then afterward, he kind of like his face changes and he goes like, 
Like it kind of makes this, you know, like it's so strange. It looks like he was riffing and they were improvising and they just right. edited in that bit. Well, it looks and, terrible. Yeah. And terrible. I know that, for example, the diner scene that was filmed in one take pretty much, hmm. you know, that, and then some of that was improvised. Um, yeah. And, and some of it was. And, you, you know, the diner good. scene sets up the final showdown. Like, you know, like if you just watched to the diner scene and stopped, yeah. you kind of knew exactly how the movie was going to end. And it, it did, in fact, end that way. Right. You know? Well, you know, the one scene I did like was I like the hospital scene after Natalie Portman makes that soft suicide attempt. Yeah. And I, I like the, the way he's like, get a vascular surgeon. You don't have to intubate her. Like, it's cop. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, really? Wow, that's really good police training. <laughs> well, he knows everything in the movie. I did an ABG in the car on the way over. Her pH is 7-1. <laughs> um, so, like, uh, but that scene where they're all where they're miserable and, you know, she's in there in the waiting room and she's in, in, the, in the operating room. And, you know, I kind of I thought it was the only scene about his relationship that felt real. Because, it, well, it's because it, when they realize that they're not going to make it, it's like the scene where they really, really, they acknowledge it's it's over. It's after, right? It's right after that, and it's also, you know, it boils it down to this kind of short, miserable reality. He really does care for the for Natalie Portman, and they kind of have they care for each other to some extent. There's no BS. I mean that that scene was was sort of well done, and then. When they when he goes back to work in response to his page, he races out. Like once she kind of gives him the clearance to go, even though he really does want to be there, he runs down the steps. It's sort of a nice shot because you can see how how much relish he has to get back to chasing right, De Niro. Right. Well, that's that's right. That's his. You know, that's his, his, his own detra. Right. I know. Um, did you notice, by the way, uh, when? Uh, when Pacino's wife gets caught in bed um, with um, Ralph, Ralph, did you know, did you recognize him? Yeah, I mean he's been in uh, he's been in a bunch. Rec- of, he's done a bunch right, of stuff. But to me, Xander he will Berkeley. always right. But to me, he will always be uh, Todd John Connor's stepfather from Terminator Two, who gets the liquid metal blade <laughs> through the milk container into his face. <laughs> that was him there yeah i was like hey (laughs) you thought the parents are dead (laughs) that was him nice by the way a lot of foley work did you notice that like like i don't know the whoever did the foley work for this movie like lots of shoes walking on floors and doors opening like i was very like aware of the foley work well, he shot. There's no sound stages in this movie, too. That yeah, I read. the whole you thing's done it. on location. The whole thing's done on location. And he makes he makes L.A. look sort of devastating and beautiful, sort right. of at the same time. Which is, you know, there's it's a it's a sort of a noir tactic, but it's got this non noir sheen to it. You know, I was struck twice in the movie, and again, this is, I guess, part of the idea is that you know they're supposed to be flawed, the the criminals, but uh you know they make they make the same mistakes twice like they don't they don't quit while they're ahead and for example they opt to do the second the big bank robbery when right. they know that they're essentially compromised and it leads to their undoing 
And then De Niro goes after Wayne Grove when he's home free. Yeah, he's done. You know, it, he's out. It's a, but it's essentially the same mistake twice. Like, they could be free and clear in a way, and they decide to get back in again. And, I, and, and like, it goes a little bit against the tenor of the movie. You know, De Niro's talking over and over about, you got to know when to walk away, no, no ties, no attachments, 30-second rule, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but then not once, but twice, and like, and and you would imagine after that robbery when they all get shot to pieces, yeah, that he would have been like, I'm getting on that plane. I got my girl. We're going to New Zealand. You know, going to watch Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I think that they're supposed to be showing. I think they're supposed to show De Niro cracks in his facade and he's starting to get lonely and miserable and maybe that right he can't and amy brennerman is very appealing right except that i just i don't really buy like i said I, I don't i don't i just i don't think de niro's character i just don't buy it i mean de niro does a great he does everything he can it's just i don't feel like this is the part of of you know this this is that philosophical part about what makes a good movie that i wonder about because I don't feel, you know, De Niro, you clearly get his professionalism. You get, you get his, his capabilities, you get his discipline, you get that he's sort of vulnerable a little bit to this extent, but you right. don't, you don't really, he doesn't, he doesn't come off as a, as a fully rounded person. I, I think Val Kilmer and Ashley Judd get a little closer to sort of having a real right. relationship. I'm not a Val Kilmer fan, but he does a very good job in this. I mean, he's come a long way from uh, uh, Top Willow. Secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, he he does a good. I mean, they you know they really do all the his apparently, whole crew is uh, great. Apparently, he did not get along with Pacino and uh, De Niro, and they would refer to him as Batman. <laughs> he played Batman once. <laughs> Apparently he didn't uh, like that. You know what that scene I love is the one where Trejo's uh Danny Trejo's dying on the floor. Oh yeah. And he comes in and I mean that there's you know he right, can't because even you speak. think that you think that he's the guy who betrayed them and then you find out that you know he got bit just as bad, worse. I read yeah. by the way that the people who live in the apartment that he lives in when they saw the movie they realized that that scene was filmed in their apartment and they took up the carpet and there's a blood stain there. Like they, cause there's all that blood underneath him. Wow. And apparently like there it was. That's cool. <laughs> but no, um, just not having him, having him underplay it as you know, the guy's basically nearly dead and probably paralyzed and, and he, he can barely speak is very well done where he, he's whispering. Right. Right. Know? He's on his, he's literally on his last agonal breaths. Yeah, it's that was really well done. That that's the kind of detail, the level of gloss, you know, the movie just it bowls you over. You know, I mean, yeah. Right. Although there there's mistakes in it too or there's some stuff that's a stretch. Like for example, when Val Kilmer he gets shot. Mm-hmm. He gets By the way, he's got one he's got a great camera shot of Val Kilmer when he walks out of the bank, he's laughing out of the bank and he's all smiling and he sees the cops across the street and like in like a half a second he's got he's his weapon up him. and he's firing. Yeah. Like he doesn't even blink. But he's supposed to be shot, right? He right. gets shot and Jeremy Piven uh you know Fixes leaves him uh, up. E and Vince and the boys for a few minutes just to to take care of him. And then the next scene, 
he's got a great haircut. He's like, running around. Right, but he's got a great haircut. Like he doesn't have his long hair anymore, and he's all styled, and he's got mousse and gel in it. Like that's pretty good for a guy who just got shot. Like he looks better shot than I look better <laughs> on my best day. <laughs> well, how do you do that? There are a lot of things that don't make sense. I mean, where, how do all these crimes come from? With the dude in the wheelchair living on the in the Hollywood Hills by an antenna. You know, by a cell phone tower. He just pulls it out of the air. He, yeah, he just pulls it out of the air. This, this stuff's everywhere. I, I just, you know, you just kind of know where to look. Huh? And who really is John Voight's character? I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of the stuff doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, you know, the, the hotel scene is great, except for the fact that you just sort of like, you're kicking yourself that they're going. Like, I was like, oh, my God, don't go to the hotel. I you know. know. Like, leave Wayne Grow. Who cares? I know, but he he's pissed. <clears throat> and then how did they get on the airport grounds, you know? Like they're he running ran. around in the airfield. And the, right, but I mean, like, I can't just run to the airport here in town and run around the tarmac. Like, they're running around with guns. No one does anything. Like, how did they right. get onto the airport? Well, like, there's also, no cops or police at the airport? This guy, he's like running well, in front of planes on the runway. There's no fence either because he, you know. He doesn't look like he could scale like a 30 foot fence with concertina wire at the top. No, that's what I'm saying. Like I I was, I mean, the ending is good, but I was kind of like, hmm, how'd they get there? By the way, I'm going to say something and you're going to think I'm lying, but it's true. When I was watching this, the whole last scene at the ending, I was thinking, boy, this looks like the end of the dark night. Like it's filmed similarly. And the way they're sort of running around the airfield is very similar to the way that the Batman uh, is running around the shipping containers at the end of the dark night. And I just kept thinking, like, boy, it's very similar, and this is so much earlier. And then I read later on that Chris Nolan purposely set up the ending of The Dark Knight to be like the ending of Heat. Hmm. And apparently Heat is one of Chris Nolan's famous – sorry, favorite films. Hmm. But I mean, like, if you watch those two, like, sequences side by side, you can see that Nolan is just aping him. (laughs) Yes, you know, cute. like good artists. What is it like? What is it like? Good artists borrow, great artists steal. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, I think that's that's interesting. So let me, you know, who I, I'm not a big Ashley Judd fan, although I do like her as uh, Ensign Robin Leffler in Star Trek: The Next Generation. But um, <laughs> she's good in that scene where she waves off Val Kilmer. Yeah. You know, she and is. she she gives him like the subtlest of gestures, mm-hmm. you know, and the cop can't see. And that was, I thought, her best moment in the movie because she's supposed to be kind of an unpleasant, unappealing person with a great ass. Yeah. And so is he. And they, I don't know. Don't... I didn't notice his ass the same way. But... <laughs> um, you did notice his haircut, though. <laughs> you know, he had a good haircut. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, that that is a great scene with them because... Um, it's also the closure of, you know, his relationship with her, Pacino's relationship with the woman is ending, his wife is ending, uh, De Niro's relationship with Edie is ending, like all the relationships end. Yeah. And I guess uh, Tom Sizemore dies, so his relationship ends too. Yeah, Tom Sizemore gets shot in the head. I, you know, I have to tell you, I really like Tom Sizemore. Like in almost every movie I see him and I think he does a good job, you know, yep. he's uh, he's Jack Scagnetti in Natural Born Killers. Yeah. He's in Reservoir Dogs, I think. Isn't he in Reservoir Dogs? Yeah. I think he is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's just, he's good in everything. Who was the um, the guy that played the, uh, uh, 
um, the wheel man that works at the grill. There's another side story for you that you want. You probably would love to cut out because it doesn't help at all. Oh, Dennis oh, Haysbert. He's, he's Dennis the Allstate. Yeah, he's the, the Allstate guy. Right. He's the Allstate guy. He was, pre- he was the president on 24. Yeah. You know so, what? I don't. You know what? I think I'm wrong. I think that Tom Sizemore was not in Reservoir Dogs. He was. I thought he was. Yeah, he looks like he would be. He's in True Romance. Maybe that's where I'm confusing him. I don't know. He's been I'm in... mixing my... Ta- and he's, you know, he's really good in Saving Private Ryan, too. You know? Yep. He plays the the sergeant. But yeah, um, so the, the wheel man, uh, the Allstate guy, gets shot and killed, too. Like It would have been funny if he had spoken that voice. I'll be in the car. <laughs> in <laughs> sure right but he but he's a good example like he, he, he didn't need to be there at all like they no. that just was eh, i don't know like they spent too much time building him up only to have him get shot you know and, no. eh. or like or like the scene of pacino comforting the the mother of the girl who gets killed like eh, just cut 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 yep. cut I don't know. Almost everything they could have cut involves Pacino. Well, you didn't know, but they did do some cutting because there was an earlier draft where they they show about um, 15 minutes in Jeremy Piven's dental practice. <laughs> he's <laughs> doing a root canal. <laughs> yeah, they show him like he's doing, a, you know, he does a couple of veneers and he's talking, he's flirting. <laughs> There's a romantic interest because he's flirting with the with hygienist. The hygienist. Yeah. <laughs> but they cut that out just for speed. That's in the director's cut. <laughs> <laughs> what else was diane venora in? i don't know if i've seen her in anything else that i can think of she was in know, a I'm bunch looking... of stuff around that time and then i haven't seen her around much then yeah i'm looking at her on imdb and it's like she's been in a million movies but not a ton of stuff that uh kind of like leaps out as like oh it was a key part of it she wasn't wolfen have you ever seen wolfen with the wolf running around new york city yeah that was a boy that's one i haven't heard about for a while yeah she's in wolfen in 1981 um, so, you know, an alternate way to end this movie is that the, the bank robbery descends into a chase that ends with, you know, Sizemore getting killed, Val Kilmer getting away and De Niro getting killed. Like you could right. almost imagine that they could have had him run to her apartment and, and he's chased there and, and Edie sees who he really is, you know, in a gun battle or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't mean to just attack this thing because I really did have a good time watching it. There's a lot to think about here. But that last hour, I was like, oh, my God, let's get going. Oh, no. Look, that's that's the thing. I I don't think it makes a ton of sense. I like the way, by the way, that De Niro is very calm after being shot like four times in the chest. You know, well, he like, has to live enough to hold Pacino's hand. Right, and talk a little bit. So apparently they want a dialogue there, and apparently De Niro said, no, 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 we shouldn't talk much in the last scene. Because does he, does he say, he does say a little something. I don't remember what much. it is, but he, he says, says a little something. He says, I told something. you I wasn't going back, and that, that's, that's all he right, says. That's right, that's right. Yeah, that's pretty good, though. He's probably got like a pneumothorax, you know, like a hemothorax, you know, and he's he's pretty calm when he talks, you know, bullet through his left atrium. Yeah, he has no blood pressure, good. so... It's right, but he's pretty calm. The ending is good, though, and I like the use of the lighting in the end with the way the sort of the the runway lights keep coming mm-hmm. on in the background. And the um, the score is, you know, it's very synthy in a non, you know, now analog synth is cool, right? So it's not synthy in the cool way. It's synthy of the time, but it's still pretty good. And the the score really reaches a high point, I think, during the the bank robbery scene, which we have to talk about. 
because um the big the big robbery scene that the score is excellent throughout and and the big robbery scene you know it's funny because the first robbery scene you see with the with the truck where they knock over the armored car right it's good because it comes out of nowhere and you know you're kind of like tagging along as this complex ballet is playing out whereas the the bank robbery scene is more chaotic, you know, more frenetic, and it doesn't go so well. So it engages right. you on a different level. Like you're less, you're less distance from it. You're more kind of in the right in the heat of the battle with them. However, they do suggest that if not for Wayne Grow, um, and if not for maybe them interrogating Danny Trejo and Wayne Grow, that they tipped him off and that's why they got there because they would have been gone. Cause they got there. Like if they'd been there even two minutes later, they probably would have been gone, you know, cause they were leaving. They had, they had multi millions in a duffel, but in duffel bags and they were heading to the car, you know, right. so they, they only, you know, basically they, they just missed out. They would have gotten away, but, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, I, you know, look, it, it gets a lot of attention as a great shootout, right? And a great robbery it's, well, scene and in it's, general. And, and, it's, and the nice thing about the scene, too, is it's long. It's long. You know? It's terrifying. It's loud. They, look, they don't look like actors using their uh, firearms. You know, they look like they right. know how to use them. And, you know, and I it's read very that they, physical. Like, they look tired and winded, and they're carrying those bags of money, which must weigh a ton. Yeah. And they know, you know, they, they, they use cover fire. They sort of act in realistic, you know, ways. And, you know, I read and, that and they, they... And they people get shot up and the cars all get wrecked. Like People are afraid it's a, it's of a good sequence. Bullets. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, for good reason. <laughs> I know. But most movies, they're just... It's like a cartoon. Right. I just know? got shot in the arm. I'm okay. Yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, it, it was... It's an incredible scene. And, you know, I... I I read they they trained for a few months, you know, with some. They usually, you know, they hire some ex specials. Um, right, special usually Dale Die. It's always Dale Die if you look in the credits. I don't know if he did this one, but it's always Dale Die. I don't know, but I think they trained for a long time this time so they could look good with the uh, I, and and they used you know they used blanks on full automatic, I guess. <laughs> I, I noted by I read by the way that when Kevin Gage, the guy who plays Wingro, went to I, he actually got arrested and went to jail for a couple of years. When he was in jail, everybody called him Wayne Grow. <laughs> That's amazing. I wonder if they were all terrified like of him. life imitating art. Yeah, he's probably a very gentle person in real life. I know, but when you're when you're like if you're in prison, it's probably good to everybody you're afraid of you. He was probably right, like, Thank God too. I got that role. Yeah, call me Wayne Grow. <laughs> um you know and the but just back to the bank robbery you know what's nice too about the bank robbery is they're really really mean in it you know what i'm saying because like you know like they show them at dinner with their spouses and their families you could kind of almost chum up to them a little bit and then you know during the bank robbery you see like oh they really are terrible people yeah you know the way they're like they're so rough and they're waving the guns around you know, punching yeah. people in the face. Give me the key. You know, yeah, let it bleed. Don't move. Right. Let it bleed. It says to <laughs> Right. But again, like it's kind of like it's it's a big, big turning point in the movie because you see them in a very, very different light. And you kind of do become a little less sympathetic to them. You know, you can yeah. see why, you know, they're they've got to be stopped. You know, like you're 
Yes. Like the first half, it's kind of fun, and you're along for the ride with them. Sort of like an analogous way that in Clockwork Orange, in the first half before Alex goes to prison, I guess the first act before Alex goes to prison, it's fun to run along with him and the Droogs. The rest of the movie, it's not so fun. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. You kind of see all the tail, and then Alex becomes a much less appealing character as the movie goes on. But in the beginning, like when they rob that armored car, you're running around with Alex in Clockwork Orange. It's fun. Right, and and it's Wingro that shoots the guy, you know, right. more or less. So it, it doesn't. They don't seem to. Whereas you know, the, the in the big bank robbery scene, they're just shooting at the cops willy nilly. They'll do anything. You know, Tom Sizemore grabs that kid for cover. Right, um, right. Again, like not such a nice guy. Like you saw him at the dinner having fun. Not such a nice guy. Right. Well, they basically in their their line of work, they everybody else has to come second because they're criminals. And they're doing very dangerous things for their right, money. and they and right, and they're you know they're antisocials, like in the true definition, they'll do anything uh-huh. to protect themselves, right? You know, but, um, in uh, in Sizemore's book, I mean, he talks about how, like tons of these movies. He doesn't even remember making them. Wow, because he was on so much drugs. Hmm. Like, it's interesting. His book is good. I don't remember what it's called, but um, this book is just sort of about, you know, I might even be mistaking. I I might be mixing his book with Heidi Fleiss's book because they were together. But but I've read a bunch of stuff about sort of him and his drug addiction, which was apparently very, very hardcore. Hmm. Yeah, and apparently he was living with Heidi Fleiss for a while. I vaguely remember that. It's interesting. And then he and then and then I think he went to I think he went to jail because he beat her up. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. And then she ended up living out in the desert with a bunch of birds. I'm not kidding. Have you ever seen that show about her living in the desert with a bunch of parrots and fancy birds? Yeah, she lives like in um like like a trailer. No, she lives outside of Vegas. I forget the name of the town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's like in the desert somewhere. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting off of heat. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's pretty hot over there. <laughs> and it's always interesting to talk about Heidi Fleiss. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I, I liked it. I mean, I think that I I was surprised at how little I remembered of it. Like, I saw this, and I think in the theaters when it came out, and I haven't seen it since, although I've read a lot about it since, or you see it referenced a lot. But, like, a lot of it I had forgotten about. And, like, I completely forgotten about a lot of the sort of family ties that the movie explores, and I mostly remembered sort of the skeleton of the plot. Mm. So it was interesting to watch it again. Hmm. But, you know, if you talk to people, like I mentioned to a couple of people that I watched Heat this week, and a lot of people, and you see this online, too, for a lot of people, like, Heat is one of their favorite films of all time. Like, especially people who have lived in L.A., because it's kind of like it glamorizes L.A. Yep. Um, But I was surprised when I mentioned it to people how strong a reaction I got. Like, people really, really, really loved this movie and made a huge impression on them. You know, when I saw it initially, it did me as well because it's it's so glossy. I mean, it's it's almost it's it's an overwhelming piece of filmmaking. I mean, the impact is overwhelming, especially if you're young. You know, I mean, oh yeah, I, I think right. if I'd and seen it, it the first time as a middle aged, late middle aged person, <laughs> speak uh, for yourself. <laughs> then um, you're older than me. <laughs> yeah, tons. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I think that 
you know, it probably would not have had the same impact, but I think when I was, I was so sensitive to the, the visuals, the, the audio, um, that, that it made a huge impact on me then. But now I, when I watch it, I, I can see, I, I sense the weaknesses and I sense the pluses and the minuses together now. Whereas yeah, then, yeah. then I didn't, I, I really, then Although, I, I mean, I, you still got to tip your hat to man. I mean, it's a good movie. Oh, it's, it's a really good movie. I mean, I just wonder like if you would have taken this movie, trimmed out some of the stuff, but gone deeper on a few things. Like you basically, you would have had to go deeper on Pacino and De Niro, both of them to some extent, I think. Um, especially if you're going to make their relationship one of the sort of core um, aspects of the movie, that aspects of tension of the movie. Um, I think you needed to kind of, they needed to make, I'm not sure how to do that really. Yeah. Uh, you'd, you'd have to, you'd have to write the dialogue more carefully in every scene to give them both some, a little more background. Um, I think that it'd be easier to do with Pacino because he could have conversations with the other cops that would give him a little more. Like the Ted Levine character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean if he spent some time talking to those guys. It could have revealed something about himself and it could have revealed maybe some weaknesses. It could have revealed some, some, um, character flaws or some aspects that you can identify with. Right. Mm-hmm. Some depth yeah, no, of character. I see your point. But your De Niro, point. it's harder to do that with because they don't really talk about anything. Like the crew is no. mostly professional. Right. But, and you kind of get the sense that, you know, like aside from the occasional get together, they don't, maybe don't talk much. They're off doing their own thing. But I, I have a feeling they, they spend a lot of time trying, you know, planning. preparing scores. Yeah. yeah. Planning. But that's still not social, you know? No. But hey, that, that's um, why he's lonely. We're getting a little. We're getting a little tight on time. Yeah. I want to do line scene shot because I think that that's important. Um, so I think the best line for me in the movie is when I'll give it. It's actually a Pacino line, even though I didn't love him in this. Is when he's like, "We just got made." When he realizes yeah. that, <laughs> that that whole bit was they they were setting up De Niro and his crew, who were actually setting them up. I thought that's a great great moment because it really establishes that this is a big game of cat and mouse and that they really are on pretty equal footing. I thought best scene is obviously the shootout. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I my I think the best shot in the movie is Val Kilmer's face changing when he walks out of the bank with a smile to whipping out his automatic weapon and firing. Like, that's just a great, great scene because the tone of the movie turns right in that second and it never, ever recovers the rest of the movie. It's just a downhill shot from there. But that shot of Val Kilmer walking out, I watched that like four or five times. That was terrific. Yeah. I'll say uh, my my best line is uh, is the worst line because it's so jarring. Is the "Give me all you got" line? <laughs> Give me all you got when he bangs on the table too. Give me all you got. <laughs> oh God, that's awful. Anyway, uh, I, I of course my the best scene is the the bank robbery, the big robbery. With I guess the diner is a close second, but yeah, no, I agree. I think the robbery is just so unbeatable, and and I think the. You know, that is a great shot. I'll give you another one also with Val Kilmer, and it's the shot where where Ashley Judd waves him off and his face changes yeah. again. 
And because right. he, he's genuinely, you know, you can see he loves her. He's so happy to see her. And then he sees her signal and he's totally crestfallen. When you watch it happen, um, he right. knows exactly. And, and, and he's and he's got to run and he won't see her or the kid again. Yeah, or maybe eventually, but it's just right. like everything. There's nothing left for him at that point. And um, yeah. It's like the final loss to the, you know, it sort of represents the end of everything they had going as a crew in, in him, in his face. Like everything is lost. Right. It's all, this whole thing is over. It's, it's over. It's, it's over and they lost. And it's not did they get, doing did well. He, I guess, I guess he got away with his money though. Yeah, but he doesn't have any because he gambles it away. That's right, why he, he needs to walk out with that huge duffel bag of cash. But did right? he get away he with had, it? Well, I, no, I mean, they he ran. got away. Yeah, but yeah, I did think, he drop it? I don't know. I'd have to I check. Think, but no, all they had in the end, like, I think that in the end, they were running with just guns a lot of the way. Yeah. I think in well, the no, end. They, well, no, the, I think some of them are carrying bags on their shoulders. Even I'm to, pretty the, sure. to the getaway car when they, like, uh, steal that, that minivan know. or something? Yeah, I don't know. I got to check. All right, man. Should we wrap? Yeah. All right. We'll see you guys next week. I think I got a pick for next week that I'll tell Peter offline. Good. See you next time.